this morning? Where are you this morning? How many times have we asked that question? Where are we? You, you can imagine a family, a mother with some young kids who have gone uh, shopping um, for a few hours and they come back to the elevator and the mother has no idea which floor to go to. And then they get to a floor and they have no idea where the car is parked. Where are we? We have no idea. Or imagine 10 years ago before the smartphone when we used to use the Thomas Guide um, or that maybe was way too confusing for you and you would pull over to the gas station and you would, with embarrassment, ask the guy, where, where are we? Where, where are we going? Or you can imagine a, a guy and girl who are going out, who are growing in their relationship and they face this tension and the girl kind of stops and says, okay, where are we? Where, where are we headed? Where are we? That is the question we also ask for our spiritual lives. Where are we? And if we don't have the answer, how can we live our lives? Do you know the message of salvation? But more than that, have you believed in and are you living with assurance of this salvation? Do you know exactly where you are with the Lord? If you have that assurance, then you can live with love and joy and peace and without that assurance there is only fear and confusion and maybe error two weeks ago i preached a sermon on security the first of a four sermon series through a deeply loved and well-known passage of romans 8 well the first half of romans 8 and i started off and i said there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus how is that possible It is the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that makes our standing secure. Through the law, God has revealed his heart to us and has made clear his demands for us. The law is holy, righteous, and good, but we are sinful. Romans 1, 2, and 3 make that very clear. And we cannot, on our own efforts, be righteous enough before God. Our good works will not be enough. If we break just one command, we are guilty of breaking his whole law. And so we cannot, and we stand condemned. The good news is that Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh to be sin and to be condemned for our sin. And so our sins were imputed on him and his righteousness was imputed to us. And that beautiful exchange takes place so you in Christ are no longer condemned, are set free, and by faith you stand before him clean. He declares you righteous. Do you know this? In chapter 8, 1 to 4, we see this from God's perspective. But in today's passage of 5 to 8, we see this from our perspective, from our position. And in today's passage, Paul is not going to give us more teaching or new teaching. He is expanding what he has just said already. And here's the big idea that I want you to take home with you this week. In Christ, listen carefully, in Christ, you are not what you were. And you are not yet what you will be. Where where are we? How am I doing? Am I still the same? No, no, you are not what you were. Well, how does this make sense if I'm struggling? Well, you are not yet what you will be. We face life in this tension of the already and not yet. We are certain that we are already saved in Christ, but we are aware that we are not yet fully saved, but we are hopeful that we will be. Please follow the text carefully with me this morning. I want to read for you today's passage 
just once more, starting with verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There is nothing cute and lighthearted here. This is heavy doctrine, but it doesn't end here. It is biblical doctrine that shapes the heart and guides the life. The fire of affection for the Lord is coming from a strong piece of log of truth. It is the truth that brings out that fire of affection. Take out the wood and the fire dies down like a firework. And so we are in need of more truth to keep that fire of affection growing. We are not led by our feelings, although they have a role. We are not defined by our good works, although they are important. We start with the mind. For knowing the truth of God's word is the first step of the healthy Christian life. Life flows from the mind. In verse 5, we see two minds, two mindsets. Those Those who live according to the flesh have the mindset of the flesh. Those living according to the Spirit have the mindset of the Spirit. It is the mindset that determines the lifestyle. This mindset is the fundamental attitude one has before God. In regards to our whole life, our mind, will, our reasoning, our affections, it all starts here. So why do you do what you do? Well, you you do what your heart tells you, right? But, But how is your heart formed if not by your mind? Or let me say it the other way. Our mind is filled by what we see and what we hear. And by the filling of our minds, our hearts are shaped. And we speak and work and live and relate as an overflow of the heart. And so it starts with the mind. And so what is the mindset that you have today? Puritan John Owen said the following, quote, Ordinarily, voluntary thoughts are the best measure and indication of the frame of our mind. In other words, what are you thinking about when you're not really thinking about anything? That that speaks volumes about your mind and your heart. What questions about life do you ponder? What ambitions drive you? What concerns preoccupy you? What do you give your time and energy to throughout the day when your mind is drifting? Where is it going? For your mindset determines your lifestyle, and your lifestyle reveals your mindset. And so what is your mindset? There's only two options here. It is of the flesh or of the spirit. There's only two options. It's simple. Paul is not commanding us to avoid the mindset of the flesh, nor is he commanding us to have the mindset of the spirit. In fact, there are no commands here. We get to some instruction later in verse 13 and on. But here we have only six verbs and they are about what is not what ought to be so there are no commands here he is simply saying that there are two mindsets here and these mindsets are different and these mindsets are opposing to one another let's look at the first one on the one side there is flesh for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh To better understand the good news of chapter 8, Paul goes back and he talks about sin and death. The flesh is that whole corruption of our lives that ruins every part of us. If you scan Paul's letters, you see this theme running throughout. The mindset of the flesh is futile. 
Ephesians 4.17. The mindset is earthly, Philippians 3.19. It is depraved, 1 Timothy 6.5. It is corrupted, 2 Timothy 3.8. It is defiled, Titus 1.15. It is blind, 2 Corinthians 4.4. The mindset of the flesh describes every single story of all people of every corner of the globe throughout history. Every life starts here in the flesh, in Adam, and it will end in death unless God takes them out of Adam and places them in Christ. For it is in Christ that we are free from condemnation, and we receive that right standing before God. Now, on the other hand, there's the spirit. There's the mindset of the flesh and the mindset of the spirit. And those who live according to the spirit have, the minds of, have their minds set on the spirit. Let's pause for a moment here. If you are a follower of Christ, how often, I'm not going to ask if you have, but how often have you struggled and you have asked yourself, am I really different? Have I really changed? I think the same way. I have similar feelings and and my lifestyle hasn't really changed us yet. I look at my life and if my life says something about my heart, I'm still struggling, and so maybe I'm not saved, and you wrestle with this. We see this tension in chapter 7, but that chapter ends with a note of victory. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. Beloved, if you are doubting where you are spiritually, we go back to 8 1 to 4. And we remember that it is all Christ. It is always Christ. And He is sufficient so that you can be secure. In her book called Alive in Him, uh, a missionary named Gloria Furman wrote the following quote, Unless Jesus decisively frees us from following this present evil age, we are consumed in its centrifuge. Unless Jesus effectively binds a strong man and his spirit opens our eyes, we are blind to his satisfying glory. Unless Jesus comes, causes us to be born again and gives us his spirit, oh, we are in the flesh and not in the spirit. Unless Jesus, we're caught in the flesh with zero hope, but God, Jesus one, by grace, through faith, in Christ, no longer condemned, justified. You are right before God and you are secure before him. By grace, through faith, you are no longer in the mindset of the flesh. Now, by the power of the Spirit, you have the newness of life. He now dwells in you and is transforming your mind. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth and he will be our continual helper and comforter and he will never leave us. He will always remain with us. He will guide us in all truth, Jesus says, to teach and remind of all his teachings and so by doing so, he will glorify him who is Jesus. When you become a Christian, you can't just press the the clear button. You press the button and, and everything is clear and you can start fresh. 
No, there's this, in the Christian life, it's not that simple. There's this ongoing renewal, this ongoing cleansing that is taking place. This slow process of not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being, re, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. As a Christian, we have put off the old self with its practices. We have put on the new self. The new self, which is what? It's being renewed. How? In the knowledge after the image of its creator. And so this change in the Christian life, that day-to-day change, comes from a renewing of the mind, coming from the truth. There is an ongoing renewal that the Spirit does in our lives, in our minds, where it is the battleground of this change. But the Spirit, He is the agent bringing this change. And so we have two options here. We have the flesh and the Spirit. Let us not trivialize these. Let us not blur the distinctions, for they are different and they are against each other. Galatians 5.17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Is this becoming clear? Two mindsets. Flesh and Spirit. Different and opposing. Let me give you a few examples for you to see how different they are. Because then I'm going to show you what he has saved you from. Let's look at marriage for a moment. When we consider marriage, two imperfect people coming together from different personalities, backgrounds, life stories, and they are in the journey of becoming one. And every couple, even healthy, godly couples, have tension at times. Conflicts come up. An issue comes up, and they start talking about it, and they disagree, and then... Things get a bit emotional and heated, and then they are quiet, and they try to bury the issue, and they try to move on with the day, right? But the conflict is there. Either they walk away, and there's tension, or they start raising their voice because there's conflict here. Now, the person who is still an Adam is walking in this marriage with a mindset of the flesh, and so they might want to hold on to their rights. I'm right. I will not give in, right? I'm going to be the man of the house. I'm the woman here. And there's no self-denial, for that is for wimps. I know my rights in this marriage. However, the person with the mindset of the Spirit will be mindful of Christ and His incarnation, His humility, His dying on the cross. And Philippians 2 that speaks of that says, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ. We're called to have the mind of Christ. And since by faith they too have died and risen with Christ, they will aim to seek and set their minds on the things above. And so with the mindset of the Spirit, your life is self-denial. Marriage is a slow yet beautiful journey of dying to yourself one day at a time. If you want to die to yourself, get married. Because that's what it is. The marriage union and ultimately the glory of God is far more important than demanding your rights with this odd hope that you win the conflict and then you are better. This person with the mindset of the Spirit will be quick to confess and surrender. Or we look at the topic of sickness. Few things reveal the heart and test the faith like ongoing pain and sickness. We cannot be surprised when this becomes part of our story. Because life here is broken and pain is everywhere. From back injuries to migraine headaches to cancer to something undiagnosed. Maybe it's something bearable, but it's lifelong or it's something very intense but more life-threatening. 
Now, the one with the mindset of the flesh might look at sickness and immediately see it as a hindrance or a mistake. This is not fair. I don't deserve this. After all that I have done, I deserve health and wealth and comfort. The one in the mindset of the flesh sees comfort as most important. And weakness is the worst punishment. And so with anger or with addiction, they try to handle the sickness. However, with the mindset of the spirit, the person can see sickness from a different perspective. Of course, there is room for lament, which is quite healthy and biblical. But the Christian sees sickness not as a closed door, but as a tunnel to walk through. It is by walking through this dark tunnel of sickness that God is able to strengthen our faith, expose our idols, and deepen our dependency on him. Beloved, if you are in this right now, and you are in Christ, take heart. Though your outer self is wasting away, your inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And So if you're hurting and you're in Christ, look at the things that are unseen. Think not of the temporary, but of the eternal and the glorious. Or let's look at work for a moment, and we can see the difference between these two mindsets. Do you know of someone who is so consumed by their work, who gives all of their time, all of their effort, do not stop talking about their work? Do you know of such a person? If that person is in the mindset of the flesh, they will easily find their value and their identity in their work. And because their value is found in what they do, they might live with this ongoing pressure of being good enough, of producing enough, of accomplishing enough. With this mindset, they will then look at those around them and say, well, I work harder than them, and so my work is more important than theirs. And they need to realize that and praise me. But if you look at work with the mindset of the Spirit, you'll realize that in all things, even in work, Christ is calling you to glorify him. In all things, even at the office, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, plus two hours of traffic. We do not aim to find meaning in our work because our identity is in Christ. We do not aim to set ourselves higher than others and look down on on them because we're called to serve in love. We do not aim to be the center of attention but to let our light shine before all men that they can see our good deeds and give praise to our Father who is in heaven. Let me give you a final example. Let's look at leaders. Maybe a leader of the home, maybe a leader in a community or in the workplace. In the flesh, with the mindset of the flesh, a leader-type person might want to defend themselves at all costs. I am right, of course. You are wrong. I don't make mistakes. The problem is always with you. I said so, that is why such a person with a fleshly mindset will not acknowledge weakness or admit fault, but will be quick to find fault in others. They will burn bridges and they will hurt others. And when someone tries to confront them, they will just get angry or sit in self-pity. But a leader who has the mindset of the spirit leads with humility and genuine care and that spurs them towards fruitfulness and life and promotes unity and reflects christ 
A, a leader with the mindset of the, the spirit is quick to confess weaknesses and sins before others notice and point it out. They are eager to be kept accountable. And they are open to correction, not wanting to protect themselves because that's not part of their agenda. Such a person is okay to be corrected because they know that they've already died. And their motto is the following. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Again, we're looking at verses 5 to 8 to see how different the mind and the, the mindset of the flesh and the spirit are, to see the opposition between them. And Paul is emphasizing these things for the goal of security. What I mean is, he's bringing up the past. He's bringing up the mindset of the flesh, not so that these believers can feel bad again. He's not pointing it out to condemn them. He's not trying to open up old wounds. He's not trying to point the finger at them, shame them, remember what you did. He's not bringing up the past for that reason. He's bringing up the past so they can be mindful once more of the matchless work of Christ. He brings up the past to remind them that the past does not define you anymore. Some of you need to hear that very carefully. Your past in the flesh does not define you anymore. Based on the truths of verses 1 through 4, you are not what you were. You were in and characterized by and only in sin, but no more. Listen to a few words of victory. Romans 5.17 Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Romans 6.2 How can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 6 We would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. 6.14 For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. 6.18 Having been set free from sin. And 8.2 For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Let us cease from seeing ourselves and others in Christ as if they are still in their past. Let us learn to see each other in a Romans 6 and Romans 8 type of way. That they are free. That they are not enslaved to their sins any longer. They are not sitting in condemnation. That was a life that led to death, death but no more. Paul says in 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. That life leads to death. He says that the mindset of the flesh, where is this headed? Where is it going? He says in verse 6, death. Now the question is how? How does that life, that mindset of the flesh, leads to death? Let me give you a few steps here. If you look at verse 7, he says this mindset leads to death because it is a mindset hostile to God. Not only were we away from God, but we were against Him. How foolish of us to have lived life fighting against a loving God, committing treason against this majestic King, dishonoring the creator of all things. The person is hostile. 
against God. Because there is no room in their heart for God. There is only one throne in their heart and the self is on it. There is no room for God. The self rules, God doesn't. And this heart that is bent inwards for the self away from God only dishonors God and is against his glory and name and kingdom and word. Second, it's hostile to God and will not submit to God. Early in verse 4, Paul says that the believer has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law through the perfect obedience of Christ, whose righteousness was imputed to us, whose spirit has regenerated us. Paul lays this diamond of the gospel of verses 1 to 4 against the black backdrop of verses 7 and 8 so that the beauty of and brilliance of Christ will shine more brightly. In Christ, you're in verses 1 to 4. You're not in verses 7 and 8 any longer. But in the flesh, there's no submission to God. Like poisonous gas that has spread to every room in any corner of the house, sin has ruined your life and you do not submit. Nor can you do so. That's step number three. You do not submit. You cannot submit if you are in the flesh. Remember, the law is holy, righteous, and good, but it cannot make us righteous. It it just shows us how sinful we are. As it says in Romans 3, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Because of sin, we cannot. The law says do this and live. We can't. The law says don't do this. We do that. Because we want to break the law. Because we're sinful. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, there was slavery to sin cannot and will not submit to the law. There's this tension in chapter 7. And here this person is not trying to be better in following God. The person there is someone who is utterly dead in sin. Now they might be good, they might be generous, they might be kind, they might be helpful in their relationship with others, but such a person who is slavery to sin cannot be righteous vertically in our relation with God to bring us to a point of salvation. They might be kind to others, but they are still dishonoring the Lord. And so this person does not and cannot please God. God is not the most important in their lives. They get up each day and and live their life for themselves, to please themselves, to satisfy the cravings of their sinful heart. The mindset of the flesh only dishonors him. Him who is thrice holy. Him who is worthy of all praise. Him who does all things for the praise of his glory. Him who dwells in perfect triune harmony. No, this does not please him. But listen carefully. Child of God, be not afraid. Be not dismayed. For again I tell you that in Christ, you are not what you were. You are dwelling in verses 1 to 4, not in 7 and 8. But there is more. Oh, in Christ there is always more. For you are not what you were, neither are you yet what you will be. Oswald Chambers said the following, Beware of harking back to what you once were when God wants you to be something you've never been before. That's what God wants of you. To not look back. Realize that he wants you to be someone new. You've never been there before. 
Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now for this morning's message, I'm focusing more on the past to give you this assurance that that does not define you anymore. But here in the end of verse 6, we see a glimpse of where we will be headed in the next sermon. The next sermon that will focus on verses 9 to 13. There is life. You are no longer there, but you are there. We are already dead in sin and now fully alive in and with Jesus by the power of God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love for us. Already alive, but not fully yet. A day is coming when the Spirit who raised Jesus and who is dwelling in us will give life to our mortal bodies. Our present spiritual resurrection guarantees and is followed by the coming physical resurrection. This hope is secure, and this life is yours now. There was a 17th century Scottish minister named Henry Scogel. He was a pastor for just one year, and he was a professor for a few before dying at the young age of 27. During that time, he wrote a loving, encouraging letter to a friend who was very much struggling in their faith. This letter was then published into a book called The Life of God and the Soul of Man. This book became, in a sense, the seed of the English revival. In 1735, about 68 years after his death, Charles Wesley gave this book to George Whitefield. God used this message to bring George to salvation. He said, I've never, I never knew what true religion was till God sent me this excellent treatise. So, so what is it that Henry said in that book, Life of God and the Soul of Man? Let me give you two quotes. Henry says that, quote, true religion is a union of the soul with God. True religion is not a list of things to do and not do. Let's go back to what he says. True religion is a union of the soul with God, a real participation of the divine nature, the very image of God drawn upon the soul. Or in the apostle's phrase, it is Christ formed in us. Briefly, I know not the nature of religion can be I know not how the nature of religion can be more fully expressed than by calling it a divine life. A divine life. And then he admits that we struggle in the Christian life. And he says this, quote, It is true that this divine life continueth not always in the same strength and vigor, but many times suffered sad decays and holy men find great difficulty in resisting temptations and less alacrity or or eagerness in the performance of their duties. Yet it is not quite extinguished, nor are they abandoned to the power of those corrupt affections which sway and overrule the rest of the world. End of quote. So he says, yeah, Christians struggle, right? They waver, but that life is not extinguished because they are in union with the Lord. There is this divine life in them. As he said, we do not doubt, nor are we surprised by struggles in the Christian life. But verse 6 says, life and peace. Now you might be asking yourself, where, where is this? Because I struggle in life. Life is hard. Where is this peace? Let us not be a little the one who asks nor leave them alone in their struggle. Let us remember that this Christian life is in the midst of this tension between the already and the not yet. We have this life, but not fully yet. 
Let me give you a few examples of how Paul's handle, Paul handles this tension. For example, in 6.14 he says, For sin shall have no dominion over you. In 6.12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. 6.18, Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. But then the next verse he says, So now present your members as slaves of righteousness. You see that? You are... But you should already, not yet. Here's a third one. Old self was crucified with him. Chapter 6, verse 6. Consider yourself dead to sin. Finally, in Galatians, he says, For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. But in Romans 13, he says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this life, but we need this life. He has given it to us, but we are commanded to obey. We have this already, but not fully yet. We are new, yet imperfect. Let us not ignore the fact that we are new, nor take lightly that we are still imperfect. We do not see the totality of this newness right now. But friends, it is coming. The spirit with whom we have been sealed provides the deposit, but the fullness is coming. He is in us. And guarantees that surely more is coming. So look at 7 and 8. Not to be overwhelmed, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Let us look at these verses with gratitude for the finished work of Jesus. And the real security that we have already in him. And let us look at verse 6 with eager expectation that this life in peace will be ours complete one day when Christ returns and perfects his kingdom. Let us look at the already so that we do not lose hope and live with fear, but instead, with eagerness and victory, let us walk in the Spirit, aiming to be and to make disciples of all nations for his glory. The kingdom has been inaugurated at his first coming, and the kingdom will be complete when he returns. This is all about him. And a day is coming when he will be supreme over all. Let me close with a quote again by Gloria Furman. She says, The gift of the indwelling spirit is a foretaste of what is to come. Though we live in this broken and fragmented cosmos, we see with faith eyes that in the fullness of time there will be a day in which all things will be united under the sovereign rule of Christ. That's where this is headed. You are not the most important here. This is all about Christ. And that day is coming when his rule will be supreme. This is where we are. You turn on your maps app and the blue dot is blinking. This is where we are in Christ. Spiritually, we let us not be confused. And so we must again ask ourselves, where are we? Are we still living in the mindset of the flesh? Or do we possess the mindset of the spirit? Are we living a life where we are hostile to God? Not wanting and not able to submit to him. And not pleasing him with our lives. Or do we understand that in Christ, verses 1 to 4 defines us. And we have this life and we have this peace now. So where are you? And if you have experienced the first four verses... I encourage you to give thanks for this and rest in this and remind yourself of this and encourage each other with this. 
because surely in Christ you are not what you were, and you are not yet what 